Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Well, how's everybody doing? If you have any questions, um, there's a little card in the seat back in front of you also. Prayer request you can put on there, or if you want on our emailing list, we have a lot going on. It's off season right now, so things are really quiet around here, but it's getting ready to crank up in the next couple weeks with several things. You've got man camp coming up. She mentioned VBS, um, lots of stuff. So uh, please tune in. If you want that email, please let us know. And if there's any other questions you have, just give us a call here. Love to help get you connected, answer any questions at all about uh, the community here. We are in the process of wrapping up this series in the next few weeks, wrapping up Romans chapter 8. We've been in, uh, we've kind of looked at a few different places, but this last part of this series, we've been in Romans 6, 7, and 8. We come to Romans um, chapter 7, starting in verse 14 this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you want to find your way there, um, there's also a Bible in this seat back in front of you if you want to follow along this morning with us as we dive in. Um, I'm excited for, uh, Romans 8 is probably, I think for many people, the greatest chapter, one of the greatest chapters, because it leads us into this, this new life, this new creation, this new way of the Spirit. And uh, Romans 6 and, and 7 especially, which we're going to be in this morning, is, man, it's just raw and real. Um, and what I want us to focus on this morning as we read and get into Romans 7 is this is the most real and honest assessment of what goes on inside the soul of the human, any of us. It's the most real and honest assessment of what's really going on inside our soul. And it is a necessity. This is where we begin um, before we break in to this new life and really understanding our need for the Spirit of God and understanding this new life that God has for us, the glory of the gospel, the power of the Spirit, what God has for us um, by putting His Spirit inside us and uh, the glory of the gospel. Um, so we're going to dive in. Next week, uh, we'll get to chapter 8 and dive more deeply into what is this spirit life what how does the spirit come alive inside us and this morning we're just paving the way um, as we're getting there so as we get into as i said these passages this is where we begin if we're going to have the gospel come in and, and know the lord and have the spirit of god just come alive inside our life and truly experience being a new creation a whole new way of life a radical new way of living by the power of the Spirit of God. We have to start here. We have to be willing to have honest assessment of what is going on inside our soul. What's really happening in here? And folks, for a lot of us, that's just hard, isn't it? It's hard to open up. It's hard. Most of us have not, have not been taught the language of the heart, the language of the soul. Most of us have, have not been able maybe to be in a, a place where we're comfortable enough with people to be able to really say, man, this is what's going on. Here's the wrestle right in, inside me. And this is the work of the Spirit of God, right? To bring us to this place. And the wrestle between the Word of God, what God calls us to do, the law, what we know we should be doing, right? And, and still this inner struggle with, and we're going to see it's indwelling sin and being open to the reality of God to speak into our soul and put a mirror on what's really happening right on the inside. So I just say that to premise this morning 
that, boy, for all of us, we struggle to open up. We struggle to, um, for lack of terminology, be ultimately exposed. Exposed to the really, what's happening really on the inside. Being really honest with God and with some others about what's happening inside my soul. Um, so to get us in this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, just take us to, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read. This is one of my favorite promises in the Bible, and this goes all the way back to Second Chronicles. Many of you know this, um, <clears throat> in chapter 16, verse 9, this is just an amazing promise about our great God. So listen to this, it says this, for the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Now the Hebrew word there for blameless means whole. The eyes of the Lord constantly, 24-7 from the beginning of history are looking, running to and fro throughout the whole world. He sees and what is, how do we get God's attention? What does God go towards? He goes towards hunger. He goes towards, here's the promise. It is staggering. It it doesn't matter where you are, what nation you belong in. doesn't matter your religious background. doesn't matter anything. What matters, what God moves towards in a supernatural way, in a miraculous way, right, is, is someone who is radically honest with their soul before God, who stands before God. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to be blameless, but this word means whole. In other words, I'm, Lord, here it all is. Come shine your light on my soul. Reveal to me your truth and your love, right, and your glory. So, Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Um, we're here. We're your people. You promise, God, that you're in the midst of us. Your eyes, even now, are looking. Even now in this room, Lord, you're longing, Lord. You know. You know, and only you know, the the deep caverns, as we sung about it, of our soul, of what's going on, our struggles, Lord. And Lord, just, I pray that your spirit would move. Father, we'd experience you in a powerful way. And Lord, your gospel, the power of your word, would just crash in, Lord. Your word says that your word is like a hammer, it's like a fire. Lord, I pray that you'll hammer any lies that are holding any of us back. I pray your fire will come through your word, Lord, and burn up the distractions, Lord, to get us to the core of who we are and what you want to do inside our soul. Lord, let your word just bathe us with your truth, Father, and encouragement. Father, let no one leave here unchanged, untouched. Father, your love is immense. And Lord, I just remember that refrain over and over in the Old Testament. For Lord, you are good. And your steadfast love endures forever. You are good. And your steadfast love, it endures forever. Speak to us now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to dive right in. Chapter 7, starting at verse 14. And we'll go through a little bit in chapter 8 this morning. Verse 14, all right, we're just going to walk through some of this language. As I said, this is the most honest assessment. And anybody who knows the Lord and who's struggling and, 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 and is moving and, and before they come into the freedom of the Spirit, this new life, 
understands the struggle we're going to read. Now, here's the reality. You can be, a person can even not be, many think that this is Paul's writing when he was a Pharisee before he even knew Jesus. But he knew of the law, but was honest with his heart to realize, I I can't do the very thing I want to do. Um, But any of us who follow Jesus, we know we can easily fall back out of chapter 8, the freedom of the Spirit, into this reality, this struggle of letting sin creep back in it, let guilt and shame and, and let the bondage, right, of, uh, of the law and sin and, and a, a works-based uh, salvation take hold of us again. Um, but what God has for us is to get out of this, as we're going to see, this struggle into this new freedom, this new way, this radical new way of life empowered and lived by the Spirit of God. And so verse 14, Paul says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold under sin. Now let's stop right there because a lot of people object, right, who are looking at this. And this is one of the big things that has to, right, any of us know. And we could all give our testimony, right? Before we came to the Lord, before the Lord moved, there was a breaking of our heart. There was a, a sense of a, an opening, an exposure of realizing, man, I, I, I need a Savior, Right? There's something wrong right in, inside right my soul. And um, the scripture is clear that we're sold right to this sin. And he's going to talk about that. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody relate? If we're being honest, we all, right? Whether, we're, whether we've gone to addiction where we are deep in, it's just very blatant in my life. I'm stuck doing the thing I don't want to do. Or whether it's more subtle thoughts. Man, I'm thinking that again. Or I'm not, I'm thinking this wrong thought again. Or whatever it may be, right? I think we can relate. And Paul's just, again, I said there's no writing in all the world that breaks out right, sears right to the core of our being. An honest assessment of the struggle of the soul leading, preparing the way for this huge breakthrough, right? For the Spirit of God. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. The law of God. Right? Starting with the Ten Commandments. His, his law, the moral aspect of what God is. Purity and holiness, righteousness, holiness, who God is. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin, now this is very important, that dwells within me. Now, folks, this is deep, deep understanding of the soul. And again, we won't get breakthrough unless I understand that there is this indwelling force within me that we're born in because going all the way back to Adam and Eve that he deals with in chapter 5 in detail um, that is, has, has, has a consequence in this world and in every one of our souls. And this is, I, I have to come to realize this if, if I'm going to understand the power of the cross of what Jesus did to defeat that power. Right? Um, in our lives. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now, folks, again, that goes, right? Just countercultural to every message that culture says today. It's not saying that we don't do good things. It just says, in my flesh, in my sin nature, in just when it's just me, self alone without God operating, right, is that there's nothing good. And remember when Jesus was asked, you know, good teacher, he says, there's only one who's good. There's only one who's good, Jesus said. Right, because otherwise we get into this spectrum of, well, good according to what, right? 
Again, honest assessment of our soul. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not um, do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. What is Paul doing? He's, he's getting this, this laser light on our soul, exposing the real problem inside us so he can bring the gospel solution upon it and set us free. Okay? So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Honest assessment. Folks, that is a soul that is ready to receive the gospel solution, the new way. And so he sums up his whole discussion here, and he, he, he can't help himself. He jumps ahead of himself here in giving glory. He, just, he doesn't want to linger there too long, and he goes to 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who's going to get me out of this, who has a solution for this cycle of my soul. And he can't help himself. He gets ahead of himself Jesus, my Lord. And then the next verse, he's summing up not what Jesus, the state of the gospel does for us, which we're going to get in chapter 8, but he sums up what he's been talking about. And he says this, so then, I myself, I serve the law of God with my mind. In other words, that's what I want to do. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. These are the things I want to do. But with my flesh, I serve this law of sin that's working in me. The reality of my soul that even while I desire to do right, man, there's this temptation, there's this desire, right? And um, what's the solution? Now, here's the solution. And this is just, listen to the words. Now he is in response to thank you, Jesus. Because of the cross, because of the gospel, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We should all, amen, do black backflips over and over again over that one. There's nothing in all the world that can bring a solution to your life or my life to get rid of sin, shame, and guilt. There's nothing in the psychology, there's nothing in the intellect of man that has any solution whatsoever for the ongoing problem of sin, shame, and guilt that we all know deep inside our soul. Jesus has died to cover that and solve that problem. For the law of the spirit of life, and oh, next week we're going to get into that has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So here's what's important is what the this struggle that Paul just described that we read in chapter 7 about being captive to sin. What is this saying? The gospel comes to set you free from that. There is a life. There is a freedom in the spirit that's so far beyond what most of us have touched that's available to us by the power of the Spirit of God. I can fall back into chapter 7. Matter of fact, I can live most of my Christian life under the law and under condemnation and sin and shame and guilt. I can make that decision. And religion, right, a lot of the times has a way of keeping us bound there rather than entering into this new way 
of the Spirit in chapter 8. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Wow. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. In other words, the law has no ability, no spiritual disciplines on your life, no law or commandments. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what the scripture says. None of the law has any power to transform anyone. All it does is set up, here's the target. And it shows it's there to reveal, oh, I missed that target. I struggle attaining that level of that target. What are we going to do about that? And this is the gospel, folks. God is, Jesus has done something for it. But it goes on. It says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh on the cross in order that, here it is, the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us. That we might learn to be empowered by the Spirit to live a new life that we might now fulfill the law. In other words, become like Jesus because we are spirit-led and filled people rather than religious people who are trying to just uh, willpower ourselves into doing what is right. It is a radical, radical, whole new life that is available to all. So that's the word of God. What I want to focus on this morning is this preparation to get to chapter 8, which we'll get there next week, and to detail or try to dive into, to, to faint into flame what this spirit life is all about. I want to drive in a little deeper about this honest assessment um, of our soul and the necessity of being and having my soul um, and heart opened up. I have to be honest with these issues, to be honest with sin, to be honest with... Um, what I'm really thinking, what's really going on right inside my soul and to highlight the glory of the gospel this morning. All right, there's a little busy slide. Um, I'm not the best uh, graphic person, but hang with me, okay? So what I want here at the center of things, what God has called us to do, if we're going to remain in this new, taste this new life, taste this radical freedom of what the cross has for us. We must be gospel-centered. It's the gospel of grace. It's what Jesus has done for you, not what I can do for myself. It is having faith and trust in Him and laying hold of the promises of God and trusting Him to bring them about in our life. And every bit of life is staying, whichever way I'm pulled and torn, is I gotta always come back. My center, my, my foundation has to be in Him and His grace and His glory and what He's done for me. But I'm pulled in two primary directions. Now, I have two metaphors up here for us. One is the courtroom and the other is the cinema. Now, both of those are not evil or bad in and of themselves. They are good things, right? But I'm using them as a metaphor, right? The courtroom, I think we understand, right? And this is what we've been talking about here in the earlier part of chapter 7 about um, living under the law. And what happens, right, with the reality in my life of sin is what Paul says. The reality is I immediately fall under what? Guilt and shame and condemnation. And that's the courtroom, right? It's how you feel when, even if you're not guilty, you show up in a courtroom and you start feeling guilty, right? And uh, it's just the nature of, it's a place of justice and the rule of law is coming down and we, I think, all understand that metaphor, right? And even a lot of Paul's language is very forensic, right? Um, in and of itself, dealing with that. 
Now, we all, folks, again, have this tendency. We can taste of the Spirit. We can um, start walking the Spirit. His whole book to the Galatians was, oh, Galatians, who's bewitched you? You started this new life by the Spirit where the Spirit was working miracles among you, and then you fell back under the law. You fell back under the Judaizers. You fell back under this, uh, this tyrannical aspect of, I've got to obey the law. Right? Um, we all can do that. And folks, I I know, I think probably I could say across the board, a lot of us have grown up in churches or environments that were very legalistic, where the the, the core of the gospel was was just kind of faded away, and it was more about rule following, right? Sin management, we'll come to that in a minute, just managing our sin. And folks, Jesus came to die for that, we're to move on beyond that. Right, to a life filled and empowered by him, living with him and, and carrying on right ministry with him. More and more freedom. So that's the courtroom. That's the primary right, avenue. We can go in and out of that so easily, can't we? Does that make sense? Right? The other one is the cinema. Now this one I'm going to break down a little more. Um, because what happens, right, the other idea is we, or the courtroom is where we elevate the law, right, underneath that. It's the way of the law. The gospel obviously is the new way of the spirit. The way of the sin is the way of the world. The law exposes sin for what it is. The cinema, what does it do with sin? And what does the world do with sin? Entertainment would be another way of putting it on that side. The way of the world, in other words, there's a minimizing of sin. There's a minimizing of the need for law. And folks, again, this is happening in our own culture right now at an incredible rate of deconstructing every bit of, of right and wrong and, and lawlessness. We're moving the right that direction. And so the cinema, folks, would be this idea of I'm submitting myself to the world. I'm sitting and I'm letting the world and the culture dictate and form my soul and my mentality. Um, I've basically um, abdicated my soul to the world. And I've said, let culture tell me what to believe. Let culture tell me what my soul and heart needs to feel like and be like. And, and a solution. And in general, everybody, all the world has to say is, what? Honor yourself. The world works the opposite, right? It fans into flame. Entertainment itself, in general, in the world, right? It actually fans into flame sin and, um, and tears down the law. Um, that is the course of culture throughout history. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, there's plenty good, edifying things where we um, can use out there. But in general, the course of history, right? The entertainment realm itself at the core, it moves towards a tearing down, a deconstructing, right, of God's law. And I think you could prove that just with any, any study of any history of, of, of entertainment, media, theater, you go down the line. Again, are those things bad in themselves? No. But the world harnesses those things because we know all the way back. Alexander the Great, even before the Romans, realized if you can build cities, the way to control a people and the way to form a people is that you control the media. Back then, it was the theater, it was the temple, it was the hospital, it was the gymnasium. Those are the things that Alexander the Great built into this great Hellenistic culture that the Romans adopted themselves. And there's nothing under the sun. These are the same things, the institutions that 
inform our culture. But the entertainment industry itself, folks, um, and the level of, of screen time, right, that inf- the influence of that is greater. And the, uh, the question I'm raising for us is how much of that, right? Do I just want to check out? How much am I willing to just let my soul be entertained and go numb, right? Rather than come alive and really deal with what's going on right inside me. When I let entertainment take over in my soul, my soul numbs, right? And the quality of my relationships drop because I don't have time. I'm just, we're just showing up and we're watching. We're, we're being entertained, right? And, and the numbing process that happens there, I think we all, right, can understand. So that's what I mean by the cinema. It's the way of the world. Now below this is, on this side, the courtroom, it's, it's a holding on, highlighting of the law. The gospel of grace is liberty. It's real freedom, right? This is what God came to do. The cinema, it's, and that's a big fancy word, licentiousness, which just means what? Let the flesh go wild. Let's just go out on the edge, right, of what we can do uh, as far as um, even flaunting sin. And folks, every culture, do you realize every worldly culture, that's where it usually goes. And the, at the forefront of that is philosophy that informs, all right, the art and theater, the media world, Right? And we have to be wise to that. Again, the question we should be asking is, am I laughing at things today that God could not laugh at? Because I've been numbed so much where I've been submitted to the culture. And we just laugh things off. And what happens slowly is the things that that God died for, the things that are righteous and holy, we are, are laughing at things that are against the heart of God and that will... Bring a numbness to us, a desensitizing, right, to, um, to the things of God and to the things in the way of the Spirit and actually bring a quenching of the Spirit in our life. Does that make sense? And of course, the next one down is um, the courtroom, right? We can easily fall into a works-based religion where I'm, my value, my pleasing God is based upon my works rather than motivated by the love of God and the grace of God. And uh, obviously, that's a focus on the Word of God, right? In other words, that's my thing, not my works, but it's the Word and what it says and the glory of the gospel. And then over here, it's a focus on the world. I get caught up in the world. I'm more a product of the world than I am the Word of God. Because when I look at my life, I have hours of screen time, hours of entertainment, where I've let the world form who I am and how I think about myself and the world rather than the Word of God to form me and transform me into this beautiful thing that God, right, wants to do. And then we go down. What happens when sin, shame, and guilt takes hold? Anxiety and worry, right? I start getting fearful, right? In the midst of, of guilt, in the midst of shame, I, I, get wor- I, I get worried about life. What happens, we'll go to the other side over here, with the world, with the cinema, is I wander. I wander away from God. And I let self and the world take over and I wander and I wander and I just go out, I try to find, and I have to have more entertainment. I have to have more stimulation. I have to have greater things that give pleasure to me. I have to have a better vacation. I have to have a better drug, right? I have to, you know, it's this crazy cycle of the world, right, that just never brings satisfaction. And I wander and I wander. And again, the great, you know, hymn, we are all prone to wander, right? Um, and so 
The goal here, folks, is this glorious liberty, the glory of the gospel that um, is available to us. So let me, uh, I just have two things for us to kind of camp out on to help kind of maybe think through the inner workings of my soul. Where am I, Lord? Where am I in this grid, shall we say? How much am I laying hold of the new way of the Spirit? Freedom, worship, and wonder in the glory and miracles of God rather than worry or whether than wandering and trying to find satisfaction out here in the world somewhere. Where, where is my soul? What's a reality check of my soul today? Um, something that one of the many things, Michelle and I got to go to Israel several years ago and I think one of the, the light bulb things for me was we were uh, down south of the Sea of Galilee and we're off, we thought we were just on this wild you know, uh, um, hike in the middle of the Judean desert. And uh, he's, you know, our, our rabbi, look how beautiful the lake, the gall God has created. And we kept walking up on the top of this, this little kind of mountaintop and it leveled off the top and he, we moved further and further to the edge. We got to the other edge and what opened to us were the ruins, the ancient rules of Sephora or Beshen, which is one of the most, the great cities of the Decapolis, the Alexander the Great had developed 10 cities there <clears throat> on the east side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Decapolis when you read about it in the scripture. And they were formed by Alexander the Great to change the culture, to put Hellenism out there very evangelistically, right, to make everyone a Hellenist. And the Romans just came in and built upon that. And this, this town that's just south of the Sea of Galilee, it was spectacular. It had a 15,000 um, seat amphitheater that they've uncovered, just gorgeous. It had one of the most um, high tech, I guess for the time, hospitals in the land. By the way, a side note, the hospitals of the Greek culture and the Roman culture above, when you walked in the hospital, it says no pregnant women allowed and no elderly allowed. Death not enter here. That was their value for babies and the elderly. Um, interesting where we are at as a culture, is it not? Um, back then, if uh, <clears throat> in the Hellenistic culture, and Roman culture, if you had a child, it was brought to the father, and the father turned his back on that child, it was thrown in the garbage heap. And what was known by the Christians by their love was the church would run around and save these babies and take them home, raise them up. And um, <clears throat> at a gymnasium, and they, the Greeks, everything was about physical looks. Everything was about uh, magnifying everything human. Um, they worked out in the nude. They, they, it was a wild thing. And the Greeks, the Hellenists, um, they invented the mall. So you walk down, when you walk down in this city, they had the mall, they had all kinds of commerce. You had the theater, you had the hospital, you had the gymnasium, um, you had the temple. And the main temple there um, for Alexander the Great was um, Dionysus. Uh, he was the god of drinking and sex. And um, they figured that the, the, the more you got drunk, the more they, it opened you to the spirit. Um, and then that moved you into sex and all that that entailed. Interesting in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 where Paul tells the Ephesians, what does he say? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Do not be held captive by the world and what it's saying over here, right? But be filled with the Spirit, this new life. What God has to give anyone who will, who will seek it. 
So I could go on and on of the details of this amazing city. Here's the shocking thing. That city was alive and well when Jesus was ministering. You realize that Nazareth, his hometown, was just a stone throw to the west of this town. Shocking. Nowhere in scripture do we have Jesus, any ministry he did going into that place. So I just want you to think about that. When Jesus went in and did ministry into the Decapolis, you know what? He went to one small town around one of the towns. The name was Hippos. And you know what? He healed one man. He healed a demoniac. Right? The story of the demoniac. And that demoniac, he wanted to follow Jesus because everything, Jesus set him free. Right? The rest of the culture had, no, had nothing they could offer this man. He was chained up. He was cutting himself. He was in the tombs. He was an absolute disaster and mess. And Jesus shows up. And he heals one guy in 10 cities that we know of. And that guy wanted to follow him because of the radical nature of what happened to him. But Jesus, what did he do? No, you go back, send him home. And you tell of the wonder of God's grace. And folks, the history is that one testimony changed the entire area of the Decapolis. Now what I want you to think about is, wait, that's just counterintuitive. Why didn't Jesus show up in Bethshan and Sephora, walk into the 15,000 fancy theater and just do a great healing service? Show up tonight. Jesus is healing. Why didn't he go to the hospital and clear it out? This is everybody says, ah, oh, why didn't Jesus, if there was really healing today, why didn't he? Because that's not how God works. I'm going to say it again. That's not how God works. And what's the principle here? And this is, takes us into two things I want us to hold on to. Remove the noise. Embrace the quiet place to experience the new life of the Spirit. It will not happen in the noisy city hustle and bustle of busyness and all that the world has shining and alluring you to whatever it has to offer to entertain your soul. You will not meet the Spirit there. And Jesus couldn't have modeled this any more powerfully when he, what did he do? He called people out to the wilderness. He called people, who's thirsty? Who's willing to shut off the noise, shut off the world, and get honest with their soul, and come follow me, and get to a quiet place? He was repeatedly taking, not only his own personal self out, but the disciples out, right, to a place of quiet, to speak into their soul. The feeding of the 5,000 was a mass thing that just happened, what, organically, Right, um, But it was out in the middle of nowhere, so far in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness, right? That, that's why the miracle came to be, is they, there was nothing around. The people had traveled for hours right, to get out to see him. The only city Jesus went and ministered in was what? Jerusalem, the city, Zion of God. And when he went, he went to the temple, and there he engaged the Pharisees who were stuck over on this side with the law, Right? And so Jesus modeled for us something powerful, right? Because the, the glamour, the entertainment, folks, we must be willing to shine the light on our soul are those things. We think we can find fulfillment in those things? What Jesus modeled is, you will not. Always the principle in Scripture 
For Jesus was calling people out who are thirsty to come out, to follow him out of the crowd, out of the mob mentality, come out of the crowd, come follow me, right? Um, if you are thirsty and if you want life for your soul, if you want eternal life, right? Come, come follow me out of the hustle and bustle. In other words, out of the frenzy into the fray. And he modeled this, as I said, with his disciples and many others, out into the fray, out into the wilderness, out into the quiet, the secret place. And what does he not command us is when you pray, what does he say? Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be out there, oh, you know, see how I'm praying, right? Or um, whatever it is, is, but go to that secret place. Go into your room, close the door, be alone, be quiet, be unknown by everybody else except your fathers who's in heaven. Over and over again, we see this. Our culture says absolutely the opposite. The culture says, man, where there's a crowd, when there's a a huge bustling crowd, that's exciting. That means there's something really going on. And what happens is the flesh, the world takes hold in that. Entertainment takes hold in that. The ways of the world take hold in that. And oftentimes what we do is we, we suffer a soul, right, that is just busy. And busyness never allows a heart to be formed. And this is what Jesus modeled over and over again, right? And so this is the first one is, can I honestly say, man, Lord, I, 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 want, I want to get honest. We can't just jump to chapter 8. There's a requirement, right, to come to God. There, there's a repentance. There's a sense of getting honest with Him and our need for Him um, so that we can receive. In the book of Acts, right, when the Spirit's poured out, the people are like, what must we do to know God? What is the simple words? Repent and believe the gospel. Believe, have faith in Jesus, your Savior, and He will save you, right? Um, next one. This is the last one. Center on the gospel and beware of sin management. And entertainment of the soul. Center on the gospel. And there was just like that graphic. Am I, am I thinking right? Are my thoughts now aligned with the word of God? With, with the gospel? I come back. I let the word of God be my center. I let that truth. No matter what I'm dealing with. The gospel's enough. It's more than enough. It is adequate. It is sufficient. It is glorious. As we just said, if the Lord is looking to and fro, who's wholehearted? Who's one to say, God, I'm all here. I'm not hiding a little here. I'm not being over-religious. Think I've got some pride over here. Come, Lord, uh, come. He's more than sufficient for any issue in life. Whether it's the radical demoniac who's oppressed and demonized, right? Or whether it's, just go down the list of things that we see. Or whether it's the Pharisee who comes by night, Nicodemus, who thought he had it all together, but needed to be born again needed to set aside the courtroom, needed to set aside his law and realize that no matter how many of those 613 laws as a rabbi you fulfill, you must need a, you need a savior. You need the grace of God, just like the demoniac. Now that's shocking. Nicodemus, who, who, who we know, and Paul himself, he, Paul says, I'm perfect according to the law. As a Hebrew, that's pretty bold. But what Paul realizes, we talked about last week, covenant, when it came to covenant, when it came to exposing his soul, he knew his motive was off. It's possible to be religious and, by, and to will with self to a certain level of, wow, that looks really great. And the heart be far from God. And, and Paul, who, who was raised by the best, taught by the best, perfect according to the law, needed the grace of God, the gospel, just as much as the demoniac, who was an absolute mess. 
The ground is level at the cross. The cross is available for all. It is more than sufficient. Today, our problem is we just don't think it's sufficient enough. We want to add to it. We need these further steps. We need this. We need that. We need the gospel. And every bit of, of gospel ministry should be bringing people back to the center. Am I thinking? Am I, have I allowed right, the Spirit of God to expose and speak into the reality of what's going on right inside my soul? And so that's just sin management. We all have been there, haven't we? I grew up, I had a whole season where it was just about, man, check mark. Here, I'm doing this. I'm doing this well. I'm having a quiet time. I'm going to church. I'm giving now. I'm da, 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 whatever. And uh, folks, all those things are good, but what matters is my heart. Is the Spirit of God a part of that? Does that make sense? And folks, the entertainment of the soul, the cinema, beware. Beware of the flashy things. They're numbing. They're drawing you in. And the majority of that, sad to say, is not edifying. When you turn your whatever, Netflix, you know, the, the, the media on, the majority of it is tearing down. It's no different than Alexander the Great and the Hellenistic cities. It is adverse to the things of God and righteousness. And it will, it will numb your soul. It'll keep you away from the glory of the gospel and the spirit of God. And Jesus is beckoning. He's beckoning from people on both sides. Come, come to the cross. You'll have freedom. You'll have life abundance in this new way. Or guess what? You can't do it. I can't do it. But he's given the spirit of God, right, to do it. So Derek, why don't y'all come on up? And... Um, I hope that you'll take that, folks. I hope that you'll engage maybe with that little graphic with each other. What we want is to not let the discussion end here, right? Is to keep it going on, whether it's just right after this. We're here to pray. And um, folks, all miracles depend on the goodness of God and Jesus and his gospel. Probably the greatest miracles of all are when somehow in your life and my life, the Spirit of God broke in and awakened my soul to say, God, I need you, Jesus, and brought this amazing salvation, right? So, Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, um, I, just, I just ask the Spirit to come. You know where every heart is at, God. Come and do business. Before we come to your table, come and do business among us of our soul, Lord. Break in, Lord. Father, you're glorious. There's nothing like your gospel. Oh, Lord, you are good. And your love, oh, it endures, Lord, forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.